This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Pete? Hello there. Mate, that's getting longer and longer. Well, I, I, I thought after you, after you made reference to the, uh, the intro on another podcast, which I'm on regularly, I thought maybe I, I'd extend it for you today. But I'll tell you what, the reason why I extended it is I'm bloody excited because I've got to ask you this question. I go away for a little while and, you know, just get about normal life. What the hell is going on up there, man? Uh, good question. Uh, and that's the reason why we are recording this week an extra um, episode of the Territory Story podcast. Yes. Uh, because uh, yesterday the government... Um, and I don't actually, to be honest with you, I'll have to ask our guest uh, exactly what the status of this legislation is, whether it has been passed or not. Um, but yesterday, uh, the government introduced legislation to um, to do a number of things to the Residential Tenancies Act. And as you know, up here in the Northern Territory, there's plenty of people that rent property, mm. perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, more than uh, in southern capitals. Um, now, the... The uh, bill um, proposed a number of things. Amongst other things was a change to uh, the, um, what I would call uh, pet policy, if you like. So the, the, the right of a tenant to have a pet at uh, the premises that they rent. So... Yeah. Um, this was related, well, resulted in a, in a huge kerfuffle. Gosh, I'll get my words right today. <laughs> and uh, and and the 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 well, the loudest voice came from our very own um, uh, CEO of the Real Estate Institute of the Northern Territory, Mr. Quinton Killian. So um, we thought that uh, it would be a good idea to get Quinton on the podcast today to tell us what he thought of this legislation and what uh, the REINT are doing on behalf of the uh, property managers as well as uh, landlords. And so, um, without further ado, Quinton, welcome to the podcast. Leon, it is so nice to be on your podcast finally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, finally. I mean, it's, it's taken a long time to, to get on your podcast, uninvited as I've been in the past, but that's all right. A long so time Pete, and a name change. <laughs> yeah, Pete, I've got to tell you, mate, I rang Quentin up this morning to talk about this issue. And uh, I said, mate, I think you, you should come on the podcast. And he goes, well, it was about time you invited me <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Everybody else in Darwin has been on the podcast, but don't worry about me. That's okay. Quentin's nose was put well out of joint when we had Dave wow. Malone on the podcast and yeah. got him. So I didn't realise there wow. was that rivalry going on. Or the master builders. <laughs> master builders before the REIT series. You know? I guess. And I guess you know you've made it. One of the longest-term serving uh, territorians here, having come to the territory in 1968. 68. Uh, my God, that is a long time ago. And uh, look, I, I think perhaps. Oh, look, it was certainly my intention to have you on the podcast at sure, some stage. You it, say it, that it was. Uh, <laughs> um, I perhaps perhaps I, I delayed that because. Um, Professor Kafkas had him on the podcast uh, some time back, and it was a really good episode, I have to say, as are many of 
Professor Kafka's uh, uh, episodes on uh, which one was that, Pete? I forget. Keeping up with Kafka. That's right. Right. <laughs> so anyway, we've got Quentin here. Quentin, I'm going to tell you, we're going to invite you back on this podcast to share your territory story because I think you've got a good one. Love to. But I, but I want to take this opportunity to talk to you about this legislation and to get your uh, thoughts. About the most abysmal decision made by, I think, any state or territory government in a long, long time. Goodness me, that's a big call. <laughs> So, look, to start off, what I would like to do is read you the second reading speech as it pertains to this particular amendment. Correct. Okay. okay? Just to put it all into context. And so this second reading speech, the uh, the minister uh, in charge is... Uh, Natasha Files. Natasha Files. <laughs> the Attorney General. Um, Attorney General. Now, which, which seat does she occupy? She's in Nightcliff. Nightcliff, right. Oh, okay. Uh, and by she, the uh, way... Uh, sorry, Pete? She, uh, just... For my ignorance for a moment, has she got any um, legal experience? Like, is she a lawyer? Uh, I believe she was a primary school teacher in her past life. So I don't believe she's ever qualified to be attorney general then? Yeah. Well, okay. okay. Perhaps not. But uh, anyway, um, the second reading speech goes like this. While the Act does not currently prohibit prohibit pets, more often than not, landlords will include a term in the tenancy agreement that the tenant may not keep a pet. This is based on the misplaced notion that a pet will damage or cause other problems with the premises. Where a landlord does allow a pet, that consent often comes with strict conditions which, which sometimes breach the Act such as a requirement to professionally treat the premises on vacating the premises. I will not go into the nuances here, but such clauses have been found to place an obligation on the tenant that does not exist in the Act because it is up to the NTCAT, that is the Northern Territory Civil and Administrative Tribunal, to decide whether the pet has caused an issue and whether the tenant has to take additional steps to compensate for it. The 2019 review identified two different legislative approaches adopted by other Australian jurisdictions regarding the ability for a tenant to have a pet. That review noted that Western Australia has adopted an additional pet-specific bond that would likely cover the cost of fumigation if it were needed or some pet-specific damage provided it could be established that the pet created the issue. The 2019 review also noted that the following Victoria that following Victoria's and the Australian Capital Territory's adoption of a rebuttable presumption in favour of pets, Queensland is also considering taking up the rebuttable presumption model. It noted, the lack of evidence in support of the notion that the mere presence of, of a pet will increase the risk to a landlord on its own, the difficulty with requiring a tenant to find the money to cover an additional bond which might not be called upon, the preference of stakeholders across the spectrum to specifically allow pets. This government has elected to adopt the model favoured by an increasing number of jurisdictions, increasing number of jurisdictions by enshrining a rebuttable presumption in favour of pets in the Act. The proposed new section 65A and 65B, I think you should B. say, Um, establish a framework that allows a tenant to have a pet unless the landlord has reasonable grounds to refuse the tenant's request. 
Where the landlord wishes to object to the tenant keeping the pet, the landlord must advise the tenant and seek an order from the NTCAT that the objection is in fact reasonable, having regard to matters such as the type of pet and the nature of the premises. <coughs> Where the NTCAT finds that the landlord's objection reason is reasonable, the tenant must not keep the pet on the premises. If, however, the NTCAT finds the landlord's objection to be unreasonable, the tenant will be allowed to keep the pet subject to any conditions determined by the NTCAT, such as whether the pet is allowed inside the premises or not. The amendments also acknowledge that there, there may be times where a tenant may not be able to keep a pet, even if the landlord is in agreement, such as where an article or bylaw of a body corporate of a unit complex prohibits pets. Such cases will override the presumption in favour of pets. As is the case with other situations where damage might occur, uh, but there is no specific additional bond, such as the presence of children, the holding of particularly outlandish birthday parties, uh, just to name two. Any damage that could be attributed to the pet would be rightly attributed to the tenants and managed within the general bond and compensation processes through the NTCAT at the end of the lease. Now, some of those comments in there, particularly some of the latter comments, where the Attorney General of the Northern Territory refers to outlandish children's parties, show how juvenile and childish they are in their approach to uh, this legislation. I, I take umbrage with comments like they have chosen to go with, uh, to, to copy legislation which um, is growing in stature or other states are following. Only two states have this rebuttable presumption legislation. We know from experience, it's only been in since October in the ACT, and it's already causing grief down there. They've already lost landlords from their rental market because of this law. In Victoria, the REIV did a survey ahead of their legislative changes, and they found that around 25% of the respondents from their investor market have indicated they probably will leave the rental market down there and seek other forms of investment because of these draconian laws. Now, if you get a situation like that occurring in the Territory, in the in the Victoria, it's going to be tough enough. But if you had 20, 25, 10% of your investors leave the market here, it's going to put an undue burden because it's going to reduce the stock, which is going to massively increase the prices. Investors don't need roadblocks like this in their way. We've, you know, we've come from a situation where for the last three years, the economic malaise that the government has put this city into has really decimated the, the real estate industry because of the, the outpouring of population to southern ports. We are just starting to turn that market around now. It is just starting to show recovery and we're starting to get the, the investor market reinterested in this market. If we now start to put roadblocks in the way to say, thanks very much, don't bother coming here because there's all these onerous conditions and you have no control over your property, because this is only the beginning, Leon. This is the first tranche, right? Instead of introducing the entire amendments in one bill, they've been decided to introduce them in tranches. We know that coming up are things like minor, uh, minor uh, uh, amendments or adjustments to a, a property, um, extensions of time for a landlord to uh, end the lease, going out from 28 days to possibly 120 to 180 days. These are things yet to come. And if this government is not willing to take 
the views of its own legislation scrutiny committee on board or stakeholders, what is going to happen when they bring in the next set of trenches? Well, I, I want to take you to that, uh, Quentin, because you issued a media release uh, <laughs> yesterday uh, where you said, today they pushed through an amendment to the Residential Tenancies Act, which a government-led legis legislation scrutiny committee strongly recommended against. Now, strongly recommended without dissent, I would add, without dissent. So there wasn't a single member of that scrutiny committee. Who dissented. was on that committee? So Nari Arkit was the, um, was the uh, chair of the committee. Um, Tony Sievers was, was on there. Uh, he's a Labor. Um, also was Sandra Nelson, the member for Catherine, Labor. Um, there was the member for Brennan, which is Tony Sievers. Uh, Leah Fanocchiaro, who's the opposition leader. And Robin Lambley, who's the independent mem member for Araloa. Right. So that of the committee of five, three, three were Labor, one was CLP, and one was an independent. Correct. And they all were against this. Is Correct. That what you're there was no dissent from the from the committee. How, how no do you know that? How, how, how do you know that? Because that's in the papers. That's in their papers. Right. Um, so the report that they presented to Parliament on. Uh, Monday morning, I think it was from memory, either Monday morning or Tuesday morning when they sat, um, the, the committee presents a report. Right. And that's the first step in this, to say that we've met, we've decided. And in that report, uh, Nari Arkit, the, uh, the chair, went through all of the findings of the, the committee right. and said, we don't agree to this and we don't agree to that and this should be amended and so forth. That report was accepted by Parliament. Right. So there, again, so what, there were no there were no dissenting voices when that report was presented in Parliament. Nobody from the government stood up and said, "Well, we don't accept that report." It was accepted. Well, what were you saying, Pete? So what what's the point of having these standing committees, which in that case, whether it's how it normally happens or not, is stacked in the favour of the government, and and without dissent has said we don't recommend it. Why on earth would they pass it? Well, this, this is part of our argument. The government at the moment is trying to steer the argument back to some sort of fluffy, um, nonsensical, almost ideological argument around, uh, as they posted up on their Facebook posting, which went up within hours of my press release, you can now have a pet. Well, that's nonsense. You could always have a pet. Even under the current legislation, before it was changed, you could have a pet. There was nothing to stop you having a pet. It was a matter of negotiating it with your landlord and your agent, right? So there was nothing there that stopped it. But their ideological view on this is they've saved the world. They've allowed you to have a pet now under this new legislation. And what they're doing is they're chasing after a pool of votes, which they think is there for them, in the voter market. They've basically <laughs> dismissed the, the, the investor market and said, we're not going to get that vote, so let's go after the, the tenancy market. And if we give them this and we make it look nice and fluffy and they feel good about it, they'll vote for us. So can you just tell me, has this has this bill passed yet? Yes. Um, so in, in the website for the NT government, they have the list of the bills and it has when it went to committee and so forth. And then next to it, there's a column that says passed. And in that column now, it says yes. Do we know who voted for this? Uh, I could not tell you that. Uh, we'd have to go back to Hansard and, and look at that. And I'm not even sure if Hansard actually records. But, well, it would uh, be everyone, it was, wouldn't it? Well, it was interesting that during the second reading debate, 
um, Jerry Wood called on uh, Nari Arkit, who was the chair of the committee, to stand up and speak on this matter because he said, I'd be interested in hearing from the chair as to why this is now being overturned. Both mm. Nari and Tony Sievers, who were on there, were gagged. They weren't involved in the second reading debate at all. Yeah. So they had no voice. There was no explanation as to why the committee's, uh, committee was overruled on this when the other factors that they put forward for amendment were accepted. So there were a number of other things mm. that they put in there that said, and, and they were small things. We didn't object to them. But a number yep. of other things that they said, oh, we think you should mean this and mean There was about four points. The other three went through no problem with amendment. It was this one that was overturned and overruled the committee's findings. So how, how is it that, OK, because, I mean, I'd really like to know who voted for this, because in my mind, it's Nari Arkit and the two other Labor people who were, uh, who were um, Sandra Nelson and, and Tony Sievers. If they were against this, then surely they should have been voting against the legislation. One would have thought so. But they're not yeah, allowed to. <clears throat> well, it, They're still it in the party today, aren't they? I, I suspect that the party rules are such that if they don't vote along party lines, then they'll be joining Kenny Vols on the sidelines. Right, right. A absolutely. Right. That's, that's the Labor Party's policy nationally. If, if you vote again, if, if you cross the floor, you're out of the party. Okay. Well, Pete, what's your view on these uh, amendments, or this amendment at least? Funny enough, the, um, I have a property in Darwin and the first thing I thought about was the fact that my, my property manager has asked me several times whether, whether they can have pets or not. Now, I'm fortunate enough in that I'm against pets and I'm not against pets because they um, cause damage per se. But my, my reason, if you like, is a bit more personal. I grew up in a house with someone who had pretty bad asthma. And, and I can tell you firsthand, if I walk into a house that has pets, I can smell it the second I walk in there, right? So for me, that, that's foreseeable for future tenants that they're going to have that same issue. Where I have a slight benefit is my body corporate says there's no pets allowed in the complex. So I, I heard Quentin this morning uh, on, on the local radio station and your response to the question was, uh, I thought, was was from the perspective of, well, we're not really sure, but in by the sound of the legislation, they're going to be able to overturn these body corporate um, bylaws as well. I, well suspect, I suspect not, Peter. Um, okay. the, the legislation seems to be reasonably clear, but what... What is likely to happen and what is already starting to happen, I had one call from a member today where she's already had a call from a young uh, resident of a unit within a body corporate structure. And the question was, oh, look, now that there's legislation's in, I want to get a puppy dog. <laughs> and the response was, no, you can't. But Gunnar said, I could. I want to get a puppy dog now. So yeah. they, a lot of these residents, a lot of these tenants do not understand that this legislation is subservient to their body corporate legislation, right? Yeah, and therefore, they are just as likely to go down to the RSPCA on the weekend, get themselves a puppy dog, bring it back to their yeah. flat, and all of a sudden now they have a blue with the body corporate. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, 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 that's definitely the issue with mine. Um, and there's reasons. Really, damage is is a. Uh, uh, I, I know it does get talked about, and and as a parent of young kids, I'm the first to admit that they can do as much damage, if not more, than than animals. Um, put this in perspective, Pete. That if you've got a nice Labrador and it's tame and it does nothing, or a lovely cat and it does nothing, wonderful. I've got nothing against that. I love dogs. We used to have a yep. we had a dog for eighteen years. That poor old thing uh, had epilepsy and all sorts of things. But he was a wonderful old dog, Oliver, and mm. and our neighbours of dogs and and I love them to death. But all it takes is one bogan who decides I'm going to have eight foot pit bulls and in, inside my house because mm. I yeah. want to. Yeah. And the damage or some skittish dog and you've got beautifully polished floorboards, there's yep. thousands of dollars worth of damage. Yeah, now, I did. There, you know, there, there's, there's, sorry, there's scope within the, the act that says that you can get compensation for, for your, um, your losses. But that compensation yeah. only extends as far as the bond. Beyond yeah. that, you now have to take that under a different section of the act which I think I'm going to be challenged on this, but I think it's section 121 or something like that, where you have to go seeking other specific damages. And that is another court action. Now, yeah. if this person has run away, if they've gone to ground, if they have no money, then the landlord is the one left holding the bag. And what's to yeah. stop the next tenant having a llama in the living room? Um, <laughs> I love the llama example. I love it. Well, I, I actually don't because to me, um, Quentin's barking up the wrong tree, pardon the pun. I want to get back to this, Quentin. You say in your media release, and here is the stupidity of this legislative amendment. The owner of the property, yes, the person who actually has invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into this property, must take the matter to the Northern Territory Civil and Administrative Tribunal and argue why a tenant cannot have a pet in the property which they own. Correct. You also said the Attorney General argued in Parliament today that renters want to have the same rights as people who own homes. This is a nonsensical attitude to have. A person renting a property does not have the same rights as the person who has invested the money and owns the house. If you want the rights of a homeowner, then become one. Correct. That to me is the complete and utter crux mm. of this whole ideological debate. I can't believe that a government would infringe on the rights of ordinary people like this. It's, it just utterly beggars belief in this day and age. It, it, it typifies a socialist Marxist attitude, though, of you might own it, but we all own it. Um, mm. Now, the simple, the simple fact is, and I, I appreciate that, and I've rented in the past. I've, I've rented properties well before I became a homeowner when I was in radio and I was you know, moving from town to town. But I had rights and obligations to my agent and to my landlord. It was their property. It wasn't mine. And if they said, I let's say, I couldn't smoke inside, well, then I couldn't smoke inside. I couldn't just decide unilaterally that I'm going to. If they said I couldn't have a, a pit in there, then I couldn't because I have a contract with them 
to live in their property for a period of time and pay them a sum of money for that purpose and to return that property to them in as best a shape that I possibly can, save for normal wear and tear, um, and to abide by their rules. It, it's a bit like it's a bit like living at home with mum and dad. If mum and dad say you can't do this in our house, well, you can't because it's their house. If you want to do that, come buy your own bloody house. You know, then you can have all the parties you want. You can you can hang things on the wall. That's that's your business because then it's your house. It's incredible. It's utterly incredible because it, it is not like there are no landlords that don't allow pets. Of course, many right? do. In fact, the great majority of landlords would be open to a pet argument if you put it to them. If you came to them and you said, we want a little fluffy dog and, you know, and, and Sammy loves the little dog, most landlords are going to look at that and go, well, as long as, as, long as it doesn't tear up the, the floorboards and do other things, yeah, go for it. Because we know... We all know that, that, yes, a pet can add real value to a family. And, yes, it can add uh, the sort of harmony to a household. It can also be a bloody nuisance to your neighbours if it's a yappy dog or, or if it runs around or it digs holes in the yard. Um, so there's a balance there. But under the current legislation or the legislation as it was before this amendment went through, all you had to do was negotiate with your landlord, and if that was through an agent, negotiate through that agent, put up a reasonable argument as to why you should be allowed to have a pet, ask nicely, and then what you have is a harmonious relationship between you and the landlord that allows for that pet to be there under certain rules. What you have now is an antagonistic relationship. The mm. government has put into place a, a role reversal where you're challenging the landlord to throw you out and throw your pet out. It's atrocious. Right? So you, it's you, you actually atrocious. created a war zone between tenants and landlords rather than having harmony. You're going into battle. Yeah. Well, I'm just absolutely shocked. I can't believe that the, the government is imposing an obligation on me in relation to my property about what I can or can't do with it. At a cost. Because when it's imposed upon you and you're forced to take me, the tenant, to to the tribunal, you, the landlord, have to pay the $86 filing fee. Or it's, in fact, probably more than that. I, I think I've been corrected. It's probably somewhere around $220 filing fee. So every time that you, a landlord, have to take a tenant to the tribunal, you have to pay the filing fee for it. Well, and that is one of the reasons when the committee looked at this, they felt that that was an unnecessary burden on landlords, that that was an unacceptable burden on landlords. And those are the words of the committee when I was sitting in their hearing. They actually said, we think that that's an unnecessary, un un unacceptable burden on landlords. Well, if uh, Nairi Arkit, uh, Sandra Nelson, Tony Sievers, Leah Finocchiaro or Robin Lamley are listening to this podcast, we would certainly be very happy to talk to you about this because uh, out here in territory, uh, in the territory, people are not taking to this very kindly at all. We've been bombarded today with calls, very angry calls and very angry emails, not just from our members, but from their clients, uh, from from people who are private landlords. So they have nothing to do with our organisation, but they're, they're aware of this and they know that we are mad about it. 
Now, I can tell you, Leon, that this is driven by the department. There are senior bureaucrats in the department that sit slightly left of Karl Marx. And <laughs> it, it is their view on life that we should live in a totally socialist totalitarian regime. And they've looked at Melbourne or they've looked at Victoria and they've looked at Tassie. And these are some of the most draconian legislation, pieces of legislation ever written. The Victorians hate them. The ACT hate them with, with a venom. But they have draconian socialist governments down there. And our guys haven't been even clever enough to manipulate them or to, to adjust them. They've just simply said, oh, look, shiny thing, we'll take that. Well, I can tell you this, Quentin. If what you're saying is correct, then the people that we have voted to get in there and pass laws, if they're that brainless to not be able to see what's really going on here, then they really ought to pay a price at the ballot box. It's a worry. Add to that, and it, it's just hit the... Um, the Facebook pages today. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, a, a certain um, gentleman who has a, shall we say, rather scurrilous uh, 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 take on, on uh, the government here. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, has posted up an interesting um, correlation between what Daniel Andrews did in Victoria and a Facebook posting that the Gunner government put out uh, just yesterday. And they're exactly the same, word for word. Oh, my God. Word for word. This is not another let's find an idea and pinch it. This is plagiarism, word for word copied. Yeah. Well, it's another know, font gate. Uh, as hard as we have been on, on Labor, on the Labor government for this, and, and deservedly so, I also want to know what the position is of the CLP and Territory Alliance are. Okay, I've spoken to CLP on this. And while I can't speak for them, and I'd love them to speak to you directly on this, um, I have a lot of uh, a lot of assurances from them that, um, and, and in actual fact, Leah Fanocchiaro, if you read the um, if you read the Hansard for uh, this debate, Leah came out absolutely firing on all cylinders against this. You know, her her, her argument was strong to the point that our Attorney General stood up mid-debate. And like a school child was pointing at her from the other side of the room going, oh, you're just an animal hater. You're just a pet hater. This was oh our attorney general God. in the middle of a debate Sorry. in front of school children. Now, Leah has come out very strongly against this. Um, we have, I have been given the support of the CLP in, in this matter. And I've also been given a, a, a verbal undertaking at this stage that should they be elected, they will repeal us. Mm -hmm. What I haven't had is anything from Terry's team at this stage. So I don't know where they sit on this matter. But I would certainly hope as a conservative government that is, well, I hope reasonably business-minded that they can see how innocuous this is, how, how nasty, how, how this is going to just um, undermine the rights of landlords. And they should be equally minded that should they take government um, that, and, and when we come to them to have it repealed, that they do so. Mm -hmm. Well, Pete, on that note, uh, have you got anything else to add to this or do you still want to keep kicking the ball around? <laughs> oh, man, uh, yeah, there's a lot I'd like to say, actually. Um, just just really quickly, though, the, the, one, um, the one group that we haven't mentioned who 
having just witnessed a lot in Victoria with bushfires and, you know, um, the cost of recovery and so forth, we talk about potential, um, you know, meetings at NCAT or NTCAT and uh, taking um, tenants there to try and get compensation. And there's always the argument for the fact that often there's nothing to take because they don't have any money. Well, what about landlord's insurance? What about the cost of actually trying to continue being a landlord? You know, the, the cost of insurance in Southern Australia, and it'll be passed on nationally, don't worry about that, is about to skyrocket. This is just another contribution to that. Well, at the moment, Pete, um, I did check with Terry Shear, who are one of the major insurers. And through Terry Shear, you can get around about two to $2,500 cover for pet damage. And that's based on your current uh, payments, which I think from memory are somewhere around about the $300 for, for landlord's insurance. That's not bad. But yep. if these claims start to come through um, in much larger sums and much larger numbers, like any insurance company, you are quite correct. They are going to adjust those premiums very, very quickly. They're going to drop yep. their, their levels and they're going to add to their, uh, their excesses. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing too, and, and I, I hate to burst the bubble, but I had this conversation earlier today with you, Leon, is that the way things stand right now, we could very well be in a situation come the election in August where, where there's going to be a backlash against the current government. I think we already know that. We, we have an opposition party who are too minute to really be in the game. And we've got a, uh, you know, uh, another party which has been caused out of various independents splintering away and, and setting up shop. We, we actually could be in a worse situation for a government in six months than we are now. Look, that's, that is a possibility. Um, another possibility, if one would like to apply some common sense, is that you have essentially two conservative parties who, while they may not necessarily love each other, not dissimilar to Liberals and Nationals, um, could form a coalition of sorts and potentially between them have the numbers to, to take government. You also have another further scenario that should Terry's team win the by-election in Johnson, they would have the equal numbers to the CLP and could challenge for the position of official opposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're an exactly. official party and they've got the right numbers. Um, you could have a different opposition leading you into the next election. Now we've asked we've asked Territory Alliance and we've asked the CLP what's the likelihood of that, and we, we're yet to get a straight answer. But in my opinion, it's the only way that we're going to have a change of government. Well, the, the worst case scenario for all of us is, is to have the the current government hold on by minority at the whim of independence, because yep. then you have a backbench that is made up of disparate lunatics um, <laughs> who will essentially hold <laughs> to the be kind. Um, to, yeah. to, you know, bills will not get passed. Nothing sensible will get passed because... Every lunatic will want their, their pound of flesh out of this. Who was the crackpot in Tasmania that ran the country for that term? 
the crackpot and old Jackie Lambie. No, oh, no, before her, the, the, the bloke that was anti-everything. Oh, Wilkie. Andrew Wilkie. Andrew Wilkie. Oh, Wilkie. Yeah. Mr. Pokey. Yeah. Mr. Anti-Pokey. <laughs> yeah. But you he see, this is the, the country for a time. When, when you have a minority government and, and they are beholden to independents to get a vote through, um, yep. those independents are, as, as lunatics as they may may be, you know, they, they may be absolute tree-hugging um complete nutters, but they're smart yep. enough to realise that they hold the balance of power. And as long as they hold that, they can hold up anything, including supply. And that's yep. a scary thing, that they can hold up supply. They can bring the government to its knees by holding up supply. <clears throat> well, I still don't quite understand. So which department was responsible, do you think, for... Uh... Justice. Goodness They me. drafted this, and they were... See, we put up a pet bond in the first instance. We put forward a pet bond as, as the the best alternative. It works really well in Western Australia. Um, our WA counterparts have, have told us how well it works over there. Right. It was literally shot down in flames by the department and oh. then shot down in flames by the minister. I, yeah, because it was an impost on the tenant. Now, let's not worry about the impost on... The, the landlord now, yeah. um, you <laughs> exactly. want to have a pet in somebody else's property, but you're not willing to pay a little bit extra for the maintenance of that pet. Well, my as view the, is... The hmm? Has the Department of Justice come up with this as a, as a wonderful diversionary tactic from what's actually going on that they should be focusing on? No, if you have a look at their 90-page discussion paper, which... Uh, we had three weeks to respond to. It was atrocious. In actual fact, here's another laughable point. When it first came out, when the discussion paper was first released, as the one of the key stakeholders in this and one of the major players, this is our main act, one of our main acts, I found out that the discussion paper had been released when an ABC journalist rang me on Saturday morning and said, do you have comment on the discussion paper? Uh, what discussion paper? <laughs> the one that's just been released on the RTA amendments. Really? Now, they hadn't contacted us. They hadn't. There was at least six or seven key stakeholders who said the same in the hearings, even to their denials. We all said the same. None of us had been contacted. So then we had three weeks. I asked for an extension and was told bluntly by the Attorney General's office, no, absolutely not. So that gave us three weeks to consult with 100 agencies and 600 members spread over 1.3 million square kilometres, to then write a paper that addressed a 90-page document with 36 recommendations in it, mm. to get that back in within the considered time frame, which we managed to. Um, and if you read some of the lunacy that is contained in that document, which we know is coming forward in the next tranches because it's in that document, mm. and... Don't tell me this is bubble thinking that they're just floating ideas. It's in there for a reason. It's in there because it's going to be brought out and put forward. Well, they picked a great, uh, great time in the election cycle to bring in controversial legislation. That's for sure. Uh, look, uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up, Pete, um, so that uh, Quentin can uh, go home and let off some steam. Um, <laughs> Quentin, thanks very much for being on the podcast. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. We'll uh, we'll get you on with your story because I know it's a fascinating one uh, and we'd certainly love to hear all about it in due course. As long as there's no pictures and no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Pete, we have got a, another very interesting guest uh, on our podcast coming up next week. Uh, did you want to give us a li- give the um, audience a little bit of a teaser? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, so, well, firstly, thanks thanks to Quentin Killian, the CEO of the REINT, for joining us today on the Territory Story podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking with the former Attorney General of the Northern Territory, uh, John Elfrink, and uh, talking to him regarding what happened with the Four Corners interview and everything that's transpired since then. So we're, we're very much looking forward to that. And um, if you would like to ask any questions, because I know it's still close to Territorians' hearts, if there's anything you want to know that you think we should be asking, John, then uh, please get in touch with us through the Territory Story uh, Facebook page and we'd be happy to put your questions to him. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.